Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, how many ladies have their guys up on the mountain for a retreat this weekend? Just a show of hands, okay? Okay. How many are, how many are hoping and praying that they'll uh, be back in a month? Hopefully, hopefully they'll be back today, okay? So uh, good to have you with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Job. We'll begin reading chapter 38. Job is just before the book of Psalms. This is our Encounters with God teaching series. We're going to talk about suffering this morning. Encountering God in suffering. Suffering is an inevitable part of living in a fallen world. And suffering will either make you or break you, but it will certainly not leave you the same. Everyone here will eventually face suffering. And uh, so this is a, this is a good topic for, for all of us. Uh, I, I love what uh, Timothy Keller says about the book of Job. That's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. No book of the Bible or in world literature faces suffering with intellectual integrity, emotional authenticity, and spiritual wisdom like the book of Job. Let me give you a little bit of a background and uh, so you, you understand where we are, a little bit of the uh, context. Uh, Job is a blameless and upright man, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job chapter 1 verse 1 makes that very clear. And he suddenly and inexplicably uh, loses everything, his health, his wealth, and his family. And as you look at the overall book, Job is a lyrical epic poem divided into three major sections. The first section is a dialogue between God and Satan. Chapters um, one and two uh, really are, are part of that. And uh, so God is talking to Satan, and God says something really interesting to Satan. He says, have you uh, seen my servant Job? And in other words, take a look at him. He, uh, he serves me, he loves me, he, uh, he does all these great things for me. And uh, Satan responds by saying something like this, um, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? Okay, uh, maybe Satan didn't say those exact words, but uh, Tina Turner did. And... Uh, but I mean, that was similar to what his, his heart was really, uh, he was basically saying, you know what, Job serves you only because of what you give to him. Take all that away from him and he will no longer serve you. That's the dialogue they're having. And so then God uh, says, okay, have at it. Now, this is what's interesting about this. this we're going to talk about this. We're talking about God's sovereignty. And, and we know f based on this book, based on God's word, and, uh, and I like the way that Johnny Erickson Tata puts it in her book, When God Weeps, that it's, it's very clear that God restrains evil, otherwise evil would be unrestrained on this planet. If you think that uh, it's evil now, it's nothing compared to what it would be like if, if he didn't limit evil, and the, the result of evil obviously is suffering. And so we get a little bit of a hint Actually, more than a hint, we get really good, solid Bible theology of the fact that God is in control. He's sovereign. And we'll see this as we work through this. And then that's the first section 
I said there was three sections in the book. The second section is, um, is really a, a dialogue between Job and his uh, friends. <laughs> I say friends, actually miserable comforters. And uh, this is chapters 3 through 37. If you've ever read through the book of Job, how many have ever tried to read through the book of Job and then you kind of get bogged down from uh, chapters 3 all the way to 37? It's just this dialogue back and forth, just bantering. And believe me, if you ever have a small group like these three dudes, (laughs) man, they just, they work him over. They beat the living daylights out of him. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And, uh, and what Job is crying out for during this time is, really, God, I need explanation and vindication. And that's what he's asking for. And guess what? The third section is what we're looking at this morning, uh, chapters 38 through 42, is really the climactic dialogue between God and Job. God shows up and doesn't give Job explanation and vindication. He gives him something better, much better. We're going to take a look at that. Now... Before I pray, let me just share something with you. Last night, I I couldn't get through this. uh, I couldn't. Now, I can't even tell you what I couldn't get through. I couldn't get through this without uh, weeping a little bit because I'm going through my own share of suffering. And uh, I can't help but think that this message this morning... isn't academic or theoretical for many of you, but it's very practical because you're going through suffering. And I'm glad you're here because God's here to meet with us. And this uh, message has, has spoken so clearly to me. Oh my goodness. And um, I've had my share of suffering and I'm not gonna go through the list of things that I've suffered uh, in both just uh, as a person, but also I've helped many people as a medic paramedic with Phoenix Fire uh, for many years, and then as a pastor, just loads and loads of suffering. I've just seen a lot of people suffer. I'm currently uh, watching my dad die before my eyes. It's just extremely excruciating. Uh, He's in uh, really kind of the final stages of dementia, and uh, most people that haven't seen him for a while, when they see him, it just... It breaks their heart. It's pretty devastating. And my, my, my heart goes out to my mom as she struggles with this. And yet, let me tell you this, just before we get into this. His grace, God's grace has never, never been sweeter. His presence in our lives has never been stronger. His power and peace has never been more real. It's amazing. He is a father of compassion and a God of all comfort. So I'm telling you that this morning as a fellow struggler, as a fellow sufferer, that God gives us amazing resources. And he loves us with a, with a jealous love, as we sang this morning. Pretty amazing love. And so let me pray. And uh, we're going to dive into this. This is an amazing, uh, really, we're going to do a survey of the book of Job, but really focus on the, on the end of the book. We're going to learn a lot about suffering, but more importantly, God's sovereign grace working in our lives. Let's pray. God, you are a father of compassion and a God of all comfort. 
Not only are you close to the brokenhearted, but you save those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you, Lord, deliver us out of them all, as it tells us in Psalm 34, 19. So God, whether you choose to calm the storm or calm your child in the storm, help us to trust your loving, wise control of our lives. Teach us through the study of Job's life, um, teach us that, that, that when we encounter you, God, we want to encounter you in, in all times, but especially in our suffering, and that when we encounter you in our suffering, that you will transform our perspective. That's what we ask for you to do. You will reveal our true motives and give to us a relationship with you that we wouldn't trade for all the health and wealth and family that this world has to offer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take a look at this, uh, this text. Now, it's going to take a while to work through it. We're going to start at uh, chapter 38 and look at verses 1 through 6. And then we'll jump to chapter 40, look at verses 1 through 8. And then uh, the very last chapter of the Bible uh, of this book, that is, I'm sorry, uh, is 42. And we'll look at verses 1 through 10. So... So keep in mind, so uh, Satan has inflicted Job with just a lot of suffering. He's had this long dialogue with his miserable comforters, and he's crying out for God to show up. Guess who shows up? God shows up, and that's where we pick up the story. Job 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, now think about this. He's getting the living daylights beat out of him because of his loss of, by the way, the loss of family were seven, seven sons and three dollar, daughters killed, destroyed. He's lost all of his wealth and, uh, and he's working through this and he struggles and God shows up. This isn't your uh, Hallmark greeting card kind of a greeting here. And so this kind of gives you a little bit of where God's coming from, who God is. There's a sense of this majesty and glory of who God is. And this is what, oftentimes, what we need more than anything when we're going through suffering, kind of that reality of God. And he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. You, you questioning me? Step up. This is full contact. Put your helmet and pads on. That's what he's saying to him. And then, where were you? And then he goes through, and just this uh, particular, uh, in fact, this chapter and the next chapter, he hits him with about 70 questions. They're kind of along this line. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line? Upon it, and then he continues on and on and on with one question after another question after another question. You can see a little bit of what he's up to, and so he begins to go through this first section is just the world below. He begins to ask him questions about specific details of the world below. Kind of puts Job on his heels, and then verse 19, he starts looking at the world above. Where is the way to the dwelling of life, and where is the place of darkness that you may take it? to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home. And then if you continue work through that chapter, you come to chap, uh, verse 39, and it says, it begins to talk about the world of animals. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? I mean, it's just this relentless asking Job questions. 
And then we come to chapter 40. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Now, I, I find this a bit humorous of how he, he responds. And uh, Job responds by saying, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I, I, am, I am of small account. What, what shall I answer you? I, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will, I will proceed no further. I mean, you can see that Job's kind of on his heels, and he's like, ah, I just opened up a, something really bad here. I mean, as God showed up here on the scene, and uh, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I mean, just about when you thought that maybe God would say, okay, you're getting it, but he's not getting it. Now, let me explain something uh, to you here. One of our biggest issues is pride, and pride comes in two different forms. Uh, it's kind of the default mode of our hearts. We just think we know more than God, better than God. God doesn't know what he's doing. That's, that's kind of the, what's happening here. When we see the circumstances of our life, we can't see God's hand, and so we think he's not in control or something's happening here. And so pride is this idea, one form of pride is boasting. I deserve admiration because of how much I've uh, accomplished. Look at me, I know so much. Or, you know, we come off a little bit like we're smarter than God. Another form of pride is self-pity. I deserve admiration because of what I'm suffering. Both of those are still preoccupation with, with ourselves. It's self-centeredness, self-absorption. God wants to take us out of ourselves. Job is preoccupied still with himself in this. And, uh, in fact, did you notice just in two verses, Job uses, uh, just in two verses, he uses six times he uses the personal pronoun I. So he says, there's this self-absorption. One of our worst enemies is, is being self-preoccupied. That's the essence of our issues and our problems in life, is self-absorption. I, 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 I. And so, so God begins to hit him again with a number of questions. Uh, let me continue reading here. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. So you got that idea of the whirlwind again, and we'll talk about that. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? And then he continues on all the way through this chapter into chapter 41. Now think about this. So God shows up and he begins to just hit him. Machine gun style of one question after another question after another question after where where were you Job what are you thinking Job Job you know you're not as smart as you think you are and then I love how the book ends it's just it's amazing uh, chapter 42 you, you you begin to see that Job gets it and it's just it's pretty amazing verse one then Job answered the Lord and said I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Oh my goodness. That verse alone will give you amazing strength of just the sovereignty of God. God, you're in control. My life is in your hands. Your purposes cannot be thwarted. The idea here is that, that uh, God, you, weren't, you didn't turn your head for a moment and all these bad things begin to happen. 
No, there is purpose. There is purpose behind all that's going on on this planet Earth. And uh, by the way, let me just say this, that one of the, one of the purposes, one of, one of many of the thousand things that God is up to in the midst of our suffering is to knock the props out from under our hearts so that we utterly rely on Him. Suffering is to draw our hearts back to the only one that can satisfy us, and that's God. So when we face suffering, it's to give us a greater reality of God, and this is what he has here. And then he goes on, he says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Oh my goodness, this is a sweet verse. I pray that this happens to all of us right here. Verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Oh, I've, I've heard of you, but now my eye sees you. He had an encounter with God. It goes from concept, he had a concept of God. Most of us have kind of a concept of God until all hell breaks loose in our life. And then we begin to experience a level of intimacy with God unlike we've ever experienced before. That's what he's experiencing here. Verse six, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here's how I would kind of summarize this, is that God is infinitely able to know the best possible outcome of any situation and then achieve it. And here's, here's an, another basic idea of this, is that, that God knows, God cares, and God rules, and that's enough. So no matter what you're going through, I'm here to tell you, God knows. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows everything you're going to go through. And he cares, he cares unlike you have ever dreamed or could imagine. He cares about you and he rules. And that is enough. If you really understand that and understand this text, that can be an opportunity to encounter God in a way that you've never experienced before. And it'll be revolutionary. Now, now check out a little bit more of the story here. I find this a bit humorous in how he talks about the three miserable comforters. His nice little small group that he attended regularly. <laughs> and after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to uh, Eliphaz, the Timonite, that's one of the dudes, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job. Now, these guys were very self-righteous. And in fact, you almost, when you read through it, you almost kind of think, hey, these guys are really, you know, they're very spiritual. Yeah, spiritually self-righteous. They're moralists because they just, they beat him up basically saying, Job, it's, it's either a lack of faith or it's sin in your life. And, and they hammer Job over those issues. And then verse 8, he says, now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Look at verse 10. 
And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. This is the word of the Lord. Now, let's go back to the notes because there's just a lot of uh, great insights here. And so, an, an encounter with God in suffering will do three things. It will transform my perspective, it will reveal my true motives, and it will give me an intimacy with God that I wouldn't trade for anything. You guys ready? You guys still with me? Okay, here we go. Here's the first one. An encounter with God is in suffering will transform my perspective. Uh, let me talk about this before I give you some fill-in-the-blanks and how it transforms our perspective. Job 38, 1 through 2, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? The, the word counsel means plan, and darkens has that idea of overshadowing. You're overshadowing my words. You're saying that you know better than me. Uh, you're trying to trump what I'm doing. That's a little bit of the idea here of what he's saying. See, what Job was saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. My dad is in a nursing home, struggling, dying. We question the care he's getting. God, you don't know what you're doing. It's so easy for us to, to, to do that. And whatever your suffering might be. And this is what God is basically saying. You don't know what you're thinking. You're clueless. How much do you know compared to me? Who do you think you are? Um, I tried to understand this a little more clearly, uh, and I, so here's kind of an illustration that, that kind of helped me do this. When my son Russ, our oldest uh, of three, when he was about two years old, and he was in, the, I remember him in the car, in the back car seat, and this was back when they had these car seats with steering wheels. Do they still make those anymore? I don't think so. But, uh, but he had those little steering wheels with a little horn, uh-uh-uh-uh, and he was back there. And we were back there kind of cutting through the traffic, and we heard him say, get out of the way, you dumb driver. <laughs> and both Nancy and I look at each other like, where did he get that? <laughs> and actually, we knew that, it, I mean, we didn't, we, we have talked bad, but we didn't use exactly those words. And, um, and so what we, uh, as we were, you know, we realized that Russ had recently had ridden with one of my family members, and I won't tell you who it was because I don't want to embarrass her, but my sister, Aloha, is, uh, <laughs> can be really a pretty aggressive driver. And uh, I know that he picked that up from her. And so a little bit of the idea that we're learning here from Job is that uh, it's a little bit like us sitting in the back seat with this toy uh, steering wheel trying to tell God, saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You know, or, can you imagine my son trying to tell us how to drive the car, how to get to the location we're headed? It's a little ludicrous, isn't it? It's just like, that's insane. And that's nothing, that is nothing compared to, uh, to our relationship with God and us trying to tell him how to do his business. And uh, so let me give you uh, some things as it relates to how it transforms our perspective. And so what it does is that as we begin to see that, we've got to stay away from shallow answers to suffering. And there's two shallow answers oftentimes. One of the things that I find in suffering, the best thing you can do for people is just to come up and hug them and love them when they're going through suffering. Just tell them you love them. 
Because, I mean, the church is filled with a lot of shallow answers, and both religious and irreligious. And one of, one of those is irreligion. The other one is religion. Let me spell this out to you. The irreligious kind of shallow answer is, well, obviously there's no God. It's a crapshoot. It's a luck of the draw. That's why you're going through suffering. So, sorry for you. Or it could sound more like this. Well, there is a God, but he's just incompetent. He's not loving, or he's not all-powerful, or he's not all-wise. It could be either one of those or all of those. And that's a little bit of what, uh, kind of how Job's wife, turn to the person next to you and see if they know what Job, Job's wife said to Job. What did Job's wife say to, uh, to him? Real quick. So what, uh, what did he say, uh, what did she say to him? Curse God and die. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> Imagine your small group coming over to you in the hospital, you're dying in the hospital, and they kind of gather around you, and they all basically say, curse God and die. <laughs> and that's not very encouraging, especially coming from your, your, your spouse. Curse God and die. And that basically, uh, be mad at God. He's incompetent. He's out of control. He probably turned his back on you for a season and this, all this bad stuff happened. That's the one shallow answer. And, and, and let me just say, to answer that, is that just because, just because you can't see or imagine why God might allow your suffering doesn't mean there, there isn't one. There isn't a reason. And the other one is, is religious response, and that's of Job's miserable comforters, chapters 3 through 37. Um, Basically, they were saying you lack faith or you have sin in your life. So, you, so the first one is be angry at God. This one is be angry at yourself. You brought it on yourself. Now, there is a sowing and reaping law. There's no doubt about it. But Job is, is the example of one to show us that bad things can and will happen to good people. Job is case in point. We live in a fallen world. I said it at the very beginning. I said at the very beginning of the study, suffering is an inevitable part of living in a fallen world. You can do all the right things and still have bad things happen to you. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, and you need to understand how to respond appropriately to that and understand God's grace. And so stay away from shallow answers to suffering. Irreligion, religion. Here's the next one. God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent in the worst of times doing thousands of things our finite minds can't comprehend. I really believe that this this flood of questions to Job from God is, is really, that's the point. What does it mean to be omnipresent? Anybody yell it out to me, omnipresent. Everywhere, God's everywhere present. Everywhere present. I was listening to a song last night as I was getting ready for a Saturday evening service, and the song was just about God's presence is always with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from his love. I had one of those moments that I sensed his presence so strongly. God was using the words of this song so powerfully to remind me of that. There was such comfort of his love in the midst of that. It was amazing. And that's what he's saying. He's omnipresent. He's ever-present. What does omniscient mean? All-knowing. He knows every detail about us. And omnipotent, what does that mean? He's all-powerful. We could say that he's passionate, purposeful, and powerful. Those are really the big three that you need to understand. If you're going to get through and you're going to navigate through any kind of suffering, you've got to know these 
character qualities of God. Here's how I, you've heard me say it many times before. Look up here. You, you need to get this. If you haven't gone through suffering, you're going to go through suffering, and this is what you're going to hang on to. You're going to understand that he's still in control. He's still working in your life, and that he is, he is infinite in his love for you. He's perfect in his love for you. He loves you with a love. I just pray that this morning, as we're going through this, that you begin to see his love more clearly. It is perfect in every way, and his wisdom is infinite. He knows every detail of, uh, of your life, and he knows the path that you're on and how to navigate. And by the way, you need to know this, is that he will sacrifice the temporal for the eternal. This is just momentary, what we experience here. If he has to allow pain to awaken us to his reality, to keep us on track so that we can have and know him and experience him for all eternity, a thousand years with, with him and his presence, this is just, that's why the Bible calls this just as a mist. It's just a moment. Our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he's unlimited in his power. You can take that to the bank. And he proved all that through the cross. So that's, that's the next. Here's the next point. I'm stressed, upset, have no peace because of my low or small view of God. It really comes down to, and that's, uh, let, me, uh, let me level with you here. In America today, there's a lot of preachers out there that give us a very small, good buddy kind of God. I work really hard against that. You need to see a big view of God. A lot of them wouldn't even preach through the book of Job. They wouldn't know how to deal with it because it's so, so thick with the sovereignty of God. doesn't have this hallmark greeting kind of a fashion. And... Uh, and we need, what you need more than anything is this high view of God. And you, you get this really from Job. Job has that. How does he first of all respond when he loses all of his kids and his wealth? Anybody remember? Verse one, or chapter one. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground. Just stop there just for a minute. So if I came in here this morning, I ripped uh, my clothes fell on the ground, don't need to shave my head, it's already shaved, just, I mean, you go, wow, he's losing it, and actually, that's grief, it's a totally appropriate to grieve, the Bible says that, uh, that we grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves, because we have hope, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 2 Corinthians 6.10 says that we are sorrowful, but always rejoicing, now listen, let me read the rest of this, so he did this, and he worshiped, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So you get this combination of he's grieving, and yet in the midst of this grief, I'm trusting in you, God. I'm relying on you, and all, the, all that you gave me was all on loan from you. And you're getting this sense now, as we walk through this, that he's beginning to see, God, you are more desirable and more satisfying than all that life can give or death can take away. That's what he's beginning to understand. Now, as he responds to his wife, remember when his wife said, we talked about that, his wife says, curse God and die. Notice how Job responds. <laughs> I love this. This is good. There's a lesson in how you communicate appropriately. 
He goes, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. No, he didn't call her a foolish woman. He just said, you speak as a foolish woman. He's being very tactful here, okay? He didn't say, you're a fool. He goes, you're speaking like I've known some foolish women in the past, and that sounds pretty foolish. <laughs> so shall we receive, now this is pretty powerful. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And in all of this, God, or Job did not sin with his lips. What was he saying? He's saying God's in control. All that comes into our lives is Father filtered, whether we understand it or not. We can trust his sovereign grace, his sovereign love. Now, this big view of God, and you've heard us talk about this. We did a series a number of years ago just on God and the God our hearts long for. And, and I, I made mention of this basic phrase, but great theology, great theology, study of God leads to healthy psychology producing soul-satisfying doxology. Doxology is worship. That's what we have with, with Job. Because he's got healthy theology, he has, uh, and good, strong theology, he has healthy psychology, and it's going to bring this soul-satisfying doxology. God, my life is in your hands. I trust in you. You guys tracking with me? You guys understand that? Okay. And so, and I, I really believe that over time, as you kind of work through the book, though, Job, Job began, uh, began well, but still needed some growth. There's no doubt about it in his life. The longevity and intensity of his suffering, along with his miserable comfort, has really brutalized him. And, uh, and here's the bottom line. Here's the rationale. If there is no God, you have no reason to complain. But if there is a God, how dare you think you know better than him? That's, that's what he's saying here. And if God is big enough for you to be mad at for not doing something, couldn't he be smart enough to have reasons beyond your comprehension? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about reveal my true motives. So that's transform my perspective and now reveal my true motives. There is a difference between loving God, serving God for the benefits he brings, and loving and serving God for himself alone. And this is the argument that, that Satan brings to God against Job. And I wrote those down. You can study those on your own. Basically, Satan is saying, and he's accusing Job of being a mercenary. Well, he only serves you because of all the good that you're doing in his life. Just take the good away, and he will curse you. He will go the other way. Let me ask you this question. I know that this is kind of hard for you probably to, to uh, imagine, but I actually, when I met Nancy many years ago, I had long, blonde, flowing hair down shoulder length, and, uh, and, you know, and she married me, and then what, what would you think that after about 10 years, you know, I started losing my hair pretty quick. In fact, I even told her I was losing my hair and said, I'm going to be bald here real soon. So. But let's just say that after I got bald that she, she abandoned me. She left me. Would you think that's pretty shallow? What if, uh, you know, I had a lot of money and I handled finances really well. She didn't. And, uh, and let's just say that uh, end of the marriage, uh, you know, we got a chunk of money, we're doing well, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have this financial reversal, and then she leaves me. What would you think? She married you for your looks. She married you for your money. Have you married God for his money? Same thing is true with God. 
Then when all hell breaks loose, it's almost kind of like, and I've seen a lot of people defect from the faith during tough times because they married God for, for his money. Why are you serving God? Why are you here? Man, I hope that it's for the right reason. I hope it's for God. Here's the next. The only way that you'll be able to know and learn how to love God for himself alone is through suffering, and especially unexplained suffering. Did you know that Job never finds out why he's suffering? And he really couldn't find out. Because if, if you were to tell Job, hey, Job, guess what? They're going to write a book about you, and there's going to be millions of people impacted by your life. So hang in there, Job. Well, that would be kind of that. He'd be kind of a mercenary. But Job never finds out. And he stays strong throughout because I believe he had a legit, a real relationship with God. He loved God and was married to God, not for God's money and for what God did, but because he loved him in and of himself. Do you love God? Do you know God in and of himself that you love him and are captivated by his beauty and glory regardless of what goes down in your life? Suffering will either come between you and God or press you near his heart. And you can't help but see that. Let me give you just a quick survey. These are some of my favorite verses that I've gone back to from Job. I was talking to my mom and she even quoted some of these as we were talking yesterday. In Job 13, 15, maybe you're familiar with this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Let me read that just real quick. That's a, listen, to, listen how he says, though he slay me. You know what he's saying? God, even if you wipe me out completely, I'm putting my hope in you. All my chips are in on you. I'm following you. you I've got you. And uh, he says, though, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. In other words, I'm gonna keep bringing my argument to you. I'm gonna, keep tr I'm gonna keep looking to you. And that's why God honors him is because he kept bringing his questions, his doubts, his fears back to him. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Here's another one that you get from the chapter, if you read Job chapter 11, uh, or not chapter 11, chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, basically Job is saying, God longs for me. He had this intimate relationship with God, and God forgives me. Chapter 19 of Job, verses 25 through 27, he says this, you guys familiar with the song? I know my Redeemer lives. Oh my goodness, those are rich words. If you're going through a hard time, you go back to those words and just feast feast on the abundance of that, that uh, banquet table that he provides for us there. And then in Job 23, 10 through 12, he knows me, he is trying me, and I shall come forth as pure gold. So you get that idea that, that uh, Job knows God, loves God in and of himself. Here's the next point. The more I grow in my love for God alone, the less I will be rattled by circumstances because I have his love enriching me. Now, you got to get this point. You got to really get this one because our default mode tends to be religious. Uh, it's a works righteousness as opposed to grace righteousness. And um, Job's miserable comforters were saying, Job chapters four through five, the innocent prosper. That's what he was saying. That's what they were saying. Job eleven, you deserve worse, Job. That's nice. Thank you. Job 15, Job, you don't fear God. That's why you're suffering. In other words, what they were saying is that if I live a good life, then God owes me. It's religion. 
I don't know how many times I've talked with people before and says, hey, I tried that and it didn't work. Wait, 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 time out. You tried what? What are you talking? You tried it. Well, I went to church and read my Bible and prayed and all this crap happened to me. It's like, why were you doing all that? Did you think that God owes you? You put money in the box, you came to church regularly, you were part of a small group. That's, that's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's a works righteousness. We're saved by grace alone, by faith alone. We have all the resources of heaven to us through the sacrificial love of Jesus. Well, you missed the big, the big E on the eye chart. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the miserable comforters. See, a person who believes he is saved by works will be destroyed by suffering. Listen, the more you understand grace, the grace of God, the gospel, here's what, here's what will happen in your heart. And you can tell it's getting, it's getting a hold of you because even, it doesn't even dampen it, it doesn't diminish it in suffering, is that you feel forever indebted to God. You feel that you owe him everything. See, that's grace. That's an understanding of grace. And even as you're going through suffering, you can't believe that he is more than enough. You know that he's gonna see you through this as he's gonna sustain you and strengthen you. But see, people who have a works righteousness, their attitude when they go through suffering is that, is this what I get? You know, they feel like God's, God, you're entitled. You know, they feel entitled. God, you owe me. And they shake their fist at the real God because he won't give them their false God called idolatry, folks, that God is a means to an end. And let me just say something about that end that you're seeking through God. And I understand, a lot of people come to faith because their marriage is falling apart, their financials, finances falling apart, their kids are going south, they're off the rails, any number of reasons, because they're hoping, maybe if I get close to God, things will begin to work out, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But if you miss God in all of that, you've missed the most important thing about the Christian faith. He is by far, he is by far better than anything you could ever get from him as a means to an end. Oh my goodness, he is better. He is better. His steadfast love is better than life. Psalm 63, 3. Okay, here's the last one. It will give me an intimacy with God that I wouldn't trade for anything. We're almost finished. You guys hanging in there with me? Okay, I heard that. She's, I heard someone say, keep going. Okay, I like that. Okay. How do you guys feel about that? Okay. Okay, just want to make sure. I'll keep going for maybe just a couple more minutes. But, uh, but here we go. Look at this next. Give me an intimacy with God that I wouldn't trade for anything. It's his greatness and goodness that produces in me humble confidence. And I've taught this many times here before, and I think it's really clear in this text. And this is so important as you navigate through suffering and you work through this. So it's his greatness. Job 38.1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. The whirlwind here is really interesting. He does, talks about that twice. In the Hebrew, it's a hurricane force, has, has as much force as a 10 megaton, megaton, a warhead going off every few minutes. This is kind of the idea. He's coming out of this whirlwind, hurricane force. But this is what's amazing. So you got this greatness of God, but you also have it coupled with the goodness of God. You need to have the balance between the two. He uses the word Lord. 
Anytime in the Old Testament you see the capital letter L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh. It's speaking of his personal name. When you see the, the, the word L-O-R-D in lowercase, the, the, the L would be capital, but the other part would be lowercase. It's Elohim. It's his general, general God. But this is intimacy. Speaking of intimacy, personal name for God. Um, when God shows up and interacts with him, and this is the first time used in the book, and he uses the word when the Lord answered, when Yahweh answered, it's in the, in the Hebrew, literally means to dialogue with friends. Now when you go back to the front end of the book, God spoke to Satan, and in the Hebrew, as he's speaking to Satan, it's one-way communication from a superior to an inferior. Now this contrast is deliberate to startle the reader, to show that, that when God showed up to Job and he's interacting with Job, it's totally different the way that he was interacting with Satan. He's interacting with Job as a friend, as a confidant. He's close. He's great, and yet he's good. And there's no words to really describe his greatness, and so oftentimes you'll hear me say this, that there should be this sense of, wow. God, you are wow. But God, in his goodness, you are mmm, mmm. God, you're satisfying. And it creates this humble confidence within us. Whether you realize it or not, you are starving. You are starving for the greatness and the goodness of God because with his greatness, no trial can overwhelm us and with his goodness, no temptation can allure us. Um, I, I wrote this down because as I was kind of processing this, a creator owns you, a king rules you, but if the creator or king is your father, or your friend, then all of his love, wisdom, and power is directed towards your best interest. That's the idea that he's understanding here. And here's the next one. I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. That speaks of humility, being humble, and more love than I ever dared to dream, confidence. That's a statement by Tim Keller that you've heard me use many times here. It's really a helpful, helpful statement to maintain that balance. Because first of all, he has this superiority. I know better than you, God. So he needed to be humbled, and yet he doesn't need inferiority. Inferiority is this self-pity. There's this confidence, and yet, God, you, you love me. I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think, but I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. The sinfulness is found in Job 42, 6. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In the confidence, Job 42, 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made, his pro made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. I mean, Job forgives his friends. I would have wanted to wring their necks. I would have quit that small group. I mean, I'm out of here if you guys are gonna treat me like that. And yet, you can tell that he had been and received forgiveness from God because people who, who are forgiving have been forgiven by God and understand that and he forgives them and actually prays for them. And here's the last point. God goes from being an idea to my most satisfying reality. Chapter 42, verse five, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I mean, it's almost like, hey, who cares what people say, what happens to me, that God knows and that God loves and that God rules the universe is all the explanation and vindication I'll ever need. And then we end with this, Job 48, will you ever put me in the wrong? Will you even put me in the wrong? That's what God was saying to Job. Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And the Bible answers that, yes, unless Jesus Christ came to the cross and was condemned, 
you and I can't be justified. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus Christ suffered not so that you wouldn't suffer, but that when you suffer, you would be like him, that you would suffer well. So this is how we're going to end the service. I'm always kind of kind of wondering, how do you want to end this? And let me end it with just two quotes, and then I'm going to read to you from um, really an old hymn that has brought a lot of comfort to me here of late. Would you stand with me? Why don't you stand as I read these two quotes and then this... Uh, this hymn, and this is how we'll end. Don't forget next week, uh, I've, I've changed the text. I, I think it's different from what's on the bulletin. We're gonna look at Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, and his encounter with God. And next weekend, we have our big baptism party. Big celebration, you don't wanna miss it. Better come early, this place is gonna pack out. But if you wanna get baptized, if you've confessed Jesus as your savior, that's the next obvious step. So hang out with us right over here. We'll talk to you for about 10 minutes to make sure you're ready for that, and, and then we'll dunk you next weekend. Listen to these two quotes. This is from uh, St. Augustine. He said, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Now, here's the hymn that has brought such comfort to me. Solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less. And may, may this be a, just a celebration of what we have in Jesus this morning as we conclude our time together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, these, these next, these are the, uh, this is the next verse that really has impacted me strongly this last week. When darkness veils, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. <laughs> I love it. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. If you want to understand what that means, you need to read uh, Hebrews chapter 6. My anchor is within the veil. That's the holy of holies. That's that intimacy with God. His oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. God bless you.